The streets today have been dry and hot and still and spooky and bare. It's only now, after dinner, that people like me are emerging, walking their dogs or lolloping home late from work or watering their gardens. Here's Gail, the neighbour from out the back who... Used to live in such a lovely street in Brighton. And whose hat is so broad-brimmed as to require planning permission from the council she is so often phoning about safety and maintenance issues. She's watering, I'm fairly sure, but I don't say anything. The fence. Days like this, she says to me as I come past. I mean, really? As though the day should be ashamed of itself and owes us all some kind of explanation. You know, she says, sending a little wave of water up under some recalcitrant leaves and shunting them away down the path. In Brighton, I had a laneway on one side and a public park on the other. Not once. Here we go. Not once the entire time I lived there, which, by the way, was 35 years, not once did a human being urinate on or about my fence. Someone wheeze on your fence? I ask her. How do you know? She looks at me. How do I know? She says. But it's not a question. She detects my incredulity and she doesn't like it. I know. Because I come out here and it smells like the men's urinal at the racetrack on Derby Day. That's how I know it. And although my primary response to this is that I can't think of another person for whom a Melbourne Cup analogy would represent a universal standard against which to measure anything, I can also see that this pee-on-the-fence business is distressing. I tell her it's terrible. I can't imagine who would do such a thing. I'll tell you who, she says to me. It's those students from the pub. I'm remembering the time she turned a hose on a group of teenagers singing Living on a Prayer in the laneway at 4am and I'm wondering what she's planning exactly. I've half a mind, she says, no prompting required, to march over there myself and put up signs in the pub reminding the little turds to go to the ruddy lavatory. It's the combination of the crass turd and the genteel lavatory that I like best, but I promise to look out for her fence urinator as I wander off. Oh, don't you worry, she calls after me. I'll find him. I have decided recently, having had more exposure to Gail, that with the notable exception of her obvious class snobbery and the way she looks at my tracksuit pants as though they are made of human waste, there is something about her that is a little bit marvellous. Her confidence, her ego, her self-belief. There is something generous about the way she presumes the world needs her help to sort things out good and proper, and she's willing to help out where she can. Soon enough, I'm passing the pub. Huge sign-up, $2 Taco Tuesday. Mostly blokes in their 20s with huge beers and loud shouting laughs served by vacant-eyed women doing part-time psychology degrees. I hope, I really hope, they steer clear of Gail's place this evening. Some of the neighbours are out, enjoying the dregs of the day. Greg passes on his evening run, the wiry little bastard actually manages to talk at the same time. Wasn't hot enough, he says. I'm dying just watching you, I shout after him. You'd be surprised how often I hear that, he calls back. A couple of boys pass, laughing and speaking in what I take to be Somali while tossing a tennis ball from skateboard to skateboard as they slide through a breeze created by their own motion that smells faintly of aftershave. 
Two women behind me in exercise gear. According to him, one of them is saying, it's a whole different story since she dropped the weight, you see. Really? He doesn't think it has anything to do with her... What is it? Neurotic? No, 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 you know... Um, Hormonal. No, yeah, head of strategic whatever systems. You mean... Well, she pretty much runs the UN and splits the atom and cures cancer as a day job while this Does jumped she? up little pipsqueak with a coffee delivery subscription and a wallet made out of car upholstery takes it upon himself to broadcast to everybody his thoughts about the weight loss. Like that's a significant event in history rather than her own goddamn business and nobody else. <laughs> Hello, she says to me as they overtake. Hi, I say, disappointed to interrupt her flow. We talk about the heat, light-hearted, smiling. They cross the road, out of earshot, their pace unaltered by any of it. A cyclist, sitting up straight, shouting into the bottom of his phone, says... Another matter. Another matter. No. Return to main menu. On my way back, I pass the Italian community centre on the corner where dozens of families are milling about outside, generations of them shouting out to each other in greeting. The sound is joyous and confusing. The back-slapping hugs, the kissing, so many people balancing huge plates of food covered in foil. Inside the hall, fluorescent lights bounce off the floorboards the children are already skimming across in their socks, squealing. There's a small crowd gathered around a tiny baby in the doorway, the mutual glee of the oldest and youngest generations, staring in wonder into each other's faces, peek-a-booing like nobody's business. Somebody, or maybe everybody, smells of hairspray and perfume and a lasagna. I love the gorgeous, noisy, organised shambles of it all. And the girl of about 13 sitting on the windowsill with her feet dangling down, eating pistachios and watching everybody with a half smile. And I love pistachios and the fact that you can't crack them and eat them without looking relaxed, borderline lazy, borderline a little bit like a mean farmer with a bleak past and rough hands who is nevertheless nice to dogs. And I love men hugging and glad-wrapped plates of tuna sandwiches and sparklers and homemade desserts and you. Later, at home, just me and the kids again, there's not much in the kitchen, so I absentmindedly steam some veggies and, for the first time in I don't know how long, mash some potatoes. I do the whole thing in a bit of a stupor while a city is constructed using pots and pans at my feet. A magic city? Is it really? Wow, how is it magic? Not with a bread knife, darling. But by the time I get up to the mashing bit, I find myself still. I am transported, moved, metaphorically and emotionally, taken completely by surprise. I'm remembering something. The kitchen of my childhood. That sound, the sound I just made of potatoes being mashed in a bowl, is an echo of the sound my dad made so often, making what he called, with great affection, Mashties. The sound, a signal that dinner was almost ready, probably one of the more potent examples of Pavlovian conditioning. My mum, calling down the hall. Wash your hands, kids. I can smell those dinners now. Can see the evening light across the big kitchen window and the painted wooden cupboards. I can see the plates, 
Mum and Dad still have a few, blue and white and chipped and comforting, that told little stories, or at least they seemed to, but I couldn't figure out about what. Something fraught and pastoral involving drovers and wheat and women with long skirts and hands on their hips. The really good food was the dinner party food. Mum would give us one of everything and we'd agree to go straight to bed. Hot breadsticks, butter in a lovely deep brown terracotta bowl served with a tiny butter knife. Delicious food, loads of it. Pav, stewed pears with ice cream. Voices, loud ones, accents, bursts of laughter, arguments, stories, swear words. Once we'd gone to bed, we didn't venture back out in our pyjamas, despite wanting to, because most of the time we were breaking the rules, reading a new Cynthia Voigt book under the covers or busting in and out of each other's bedrooms, giggling and whispering until a chair scraped in the kitchen and we bolted back to bed, tingling and rigid in our beds, fake sleeping while someone went to the toilet or rustled around for something in a bookshelf and reopened the kitchen door, saying... Here it is! Or... Michael was right, I'm afraid says here it was Bolivia. And the noise would rise and fall again, and some of them, the relatives, the mates from way back who came from overseas, someone called Linda the woman to differentiate her from our dog, would come in, perch on the bed, have a chat, be funny, quiz us about school, smell of food and booze and cigarettes and something else that I took to represent a past that happened, unbelievably, before we were born. Most of these people gave great presents or new magic tricks or told fantastic stories or showed us a game involving a matchbox and a rubber band that we'd be playing for months. We'd go to sleep to their voices, identifying those of our parents without even meaning to, trying to decipher meaning but gleaning almost nothing and maybe a parent would come in and check on us and we'd do our best impression of being asleep and they'd smell different and we'd wake in the morning to distant lawnmowers and leftovers for lunch and coffee in the kitchen and someone who knew our parents by nicknames that predated us, a fact that made these relationships seem both intimate and distant, would smile sleepily and say... And how are you this morning? And it never occurred to me that one day I'd be mashing spuds for my own kids on a warm evening when nothing's in the fridge, thinking, huh, Dad was all right at this. This is harder than it looks. Feeling both extremely adult and also like a kid again. And I'd stop, and my kid would look at me from the pots and pans on the floor and say... What? And I'd say, my dad used to do this. And i look at her... And she grins like she gets it. And I realise she's going to have her own memories like this. And there's a significant chance they're going to involve last-minute veggies and pesto out of a jar. And the baby eats a pea that came from God knows where. And the spuds aren't as good as Dad's, but they're still pretty bloody delicious. And nobody minds we're having veggies and eggs and pesto for dinner on a warm evening because everybody declares they love mashties. And today has turned out just fine. The cool change comes when the house is quiet and dark and I go to the front door to invite the cool air in. It is then, in my peripheral vision, that I see a figure darting away from Gail's laneway. Am I imagining things through the mesh of the security door or is he zipping up his pants? He's gone almost before I've seen him and of course I can't be sure of anything. Maybe it was just someone walking past. But as I clean the kitchen, I feel a building fury. 
I was made happy this evening, I realise, after a day with not much adult company. I was buoyed by this neighbourhood, by people I barely know and people I don't know, and at the centre of that was a kindness, a humour, a mutual regard, a whispered antidote to the deafening narrative of world news or the internal anxieties born of the day's unrelenting running repairs. I stand in my kitchen, a magic city at my feet, and I breathe the anger into what I realise it should be. Solidarity. A little neighbourhood watch program. I note down the time. I will pay Gail a visit in the morning. Everybody is asleep now, and the dregs of the mashdies are billowing up in the dishwater like benign mushroom clouds. And I smile.